are you? I am good. How are you? I am not too good, but <laughs> but here I am. Your teeth are falling out of your head. My teeth are falling out. Your I lungs are coming out your nose. <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay because because it has to be okay. <laughs> I'm just gonna that's what I'm gonna tell myself right fake it till you make it yeah yeah good attitude thank you thank you but I do want you to know I am dying inside right now I'm so <laughs> sorry you look good though thank you we'll see if anybody else can notice the difference in today's story because it is my story today it is and actually before you get started yes there were two things I saw recently like in the news Hit that I it. just I have to share yes I want to hear it so the first one did you see um, because I think you and I are in a lot of really similar like crime Facebook uh-huh. groups. Yeah. Did you see the whole Bachelor King thing? No, I didn't. Because remember, I was gone all last week. Oh I haven't seen God. that. Oh, my God. What is it? So Joe Exotic. Oh, gosh. His, um, I think this is his ex-husband, is Joseph Maldonado Passage. That's Joe Exotic, right? I, I think so. Or is that his husband? I think that's him. That's his real Oh, name. he didn't. Yeah, because d- he, he didn't get. Yes, yes. I know who you're talking about. Um, He shared a Facebook post or somebody managing his Facebook profile shared a Facebook post. Is he out? The, he's, he's getting close. Uh-huh. And uh, they're going to be hosting a Bachelor style reality show called Bachelor King. Oh my gosh. And they are holding open auditions oh for my gay goodness. or straight men who want their shot at love with Joe Exotic. Oh my goodness. I'm not going to lie. I'm totally going to watch it. That <laughs> is, I guess I am just a reality show junkie. I love mindless TV like that. That's crazy. I didn't hear about that. Yeah, that was the first thing I saw. The second one, Uh I don't know if you know about this guy, and I don't know if most of our listeners know about this guy. He's local to Spokane, Washington. Okay. Um, His name is Lucas Werner. Does that sound familiar to you? Not really. Lucas Werner first came on my radar in... 2016 or 17 okay when he made the news because he was kicked out of a starbucks for asking a 16 year old barista out when he was over 30 years old yeah that's a problem you didn't hear about this no oh my god this guy is a nut job (laughs) um Basically, he runs a website where he tries to convince people that there is scientific evidence that human biology dictates that 30 to 40 year old men are meant to be with 18 year old women. Uh, He's disgusting. He is disgusting so um, he uh, he's homeless in Spokane. Oh, what a catch. 
Um, he likes to shout at people. Oh my God. So everyone in Spokane knows about this guy. There are several like Reddit pages and Facebook pages dedicated to tracking this guy and his movements Uh and his Facebook posts and his YouTube videos because this guy does not know how to shut the fuck up. Most recently he posted, um, I think on a Facebook page that he was riding the bus the other day and uh in the creepiest way possible this really cute young asian girl uh made eye contact with him on the bus and he decided that that meant that she was in love with him probably by accident and this poor girl because he was staring at her and you know when you're in a public space and someone's staring at you you'll kind of like flick your eyes up to check yeah yeah that's what this girl was doing and it gets it gets so creepy because he starts following her off the bus. And Ew. she's like looking over her shoulder to see if he's following her. He starts audibly counting out loud how many times she looks. And he's like 11, 12, 13. Did she go to 14. the police? I hope she went straight to the police. I'm pretty sure everyone knows who this guy like Oh, okay. Like there are I just found a video that I fell into a rabbit hole because I haven't thought about this guy in years. Yeah. Um, There are people who post like YouTube videos of him like screaming in the streets because by the way, if you are an 18 to 20 or one year old woman and you won't date him, it's because you're a bigot and an ageist. Oh my gosh. He clearly has mental health issues. So Holy moly. I just wanted to share that. Maybe I'll do like a whole episode on this dude because Yeah, why don't you go boy. Inner, He obviously needs some mental health. Look at what sickness does to me. I like get all I gain Yeah, you're all like people. Ugh. I'm all like nice. Yeah. You know? Feelings. Ugh. I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like I don't like this at all. Anyway, those that was uh, my two, my two things I wanted all right. to. Well, thank yeah, you. <laughs> awesome. Well, we uh, are diving into a three-part series, and um, you know what? what? I didn't know until I think yesterday that this is the topic you were covering. Oh. This is one of those, like, okay, I can't give you shit about not knowing about Kitty Genovese anymore because yeah. I don't know anything that's about crazy these people. That's crazy that you don't know anything about. I'm sure, I'm sure once we get to part two, you'll, when we get to part two, I'm sure you'll have heard of what happens in part two, but um, this actually, uh, the reason I know about this is I heard about it a long time ago when I originally moved to the Pacific Northwest area, I was close in the area of where one of these particular cases happen, but it's actually one of our listeners and my good friend, Julie, that, uh, had requested this. So we do honor people's, people's requests, but I'm going to do a three part just because I think it's so interesting. And this is kind of a question of, you know, a really deeper nature versus nurture, but um, we are going to dive into the Weaver family, the Ward-Weaver family. And um, some of our listeners probably heard of this, and some of you haven't. If you are, um, it's important to listen to this part one, part two, part three, 
just so you can kind of get a history of the family. But we're going to start off with Ward uh, Francis Weaver Jr. And, um, and then we'll kind of go from there because this is a, it's almost like, it's like a jet, three generations of murderers in this family, which is nuts. Okay. Because usually, you know, one person in the family commits a crime, not like then the next generation and the next generation, but that is what is happening here with the Weaver family. So this is part one of Meet the Weavers. <laughs> do you like that? I do. Julie will too. Okay. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> Julie will text me and let me know though. Um, all right. So this is part one. So we're going to start off this in 1980 in Colorado. There was an 18-year-old um, United States Air Force trainee. He was in basic training, Robert Radford. And um, he was completing his uh, basic training for the United States Air Force. And it was there that he met and started dating a 23-year-old, Barbara Ann Lavoie. And they actually, they only dated... Um, for a little bit and then they got they quickly got engaged and they were just in love um, Barbara's mom says later that like she knew that Barbara wanted to start a family right away obviously there's a little age different there age difference there too but that doesn't matter um, once Robert finished uh, his basic training uh, he had to go home to Edmonds, Washington. And so Barbara went with him so that she could meet his parents because they were already engaged. So the plan was she was going to go meet his parents. After that, they were going to drive to Pinedale, California together, which is outside of Fresno, to visit his grandmother, to announce the engagement. And then from there, they would drive uh, to Las Vegas, which was about six hours away. And that's where uh, Robert was to start his first tour of duty at Nellis Air Force Base, and then Barbara was going to fly back to Colorado while he finished his first tour, and the plan was that once he got back from that first tour, they were going to get married so that she could then live on whatever base he was transferred to. So that was their plan. They, this, this young couple with dreams, with the, you know their future ahead of them, that's what they were going to do. On February 5th, 1981, Barbara and Robert arrived in Pinedale, California, and they had a wonderful visit with his grandmother. Um, then that evening they left to continue on with their plan to get to Las Vegas. About two and a half hours into that six hour drive to Las Vegas, their car broke down on Highway 58. And this is one mile away from the exit that they had to take to keep you know, going on track. And this was in, Tehachapi, um, the town of Tehachapi. It was evening, it was already getting dark. This guy named James Powell, who was on his way home from work, saw uh, Robert's car with the flashing emergency lights and he saw Barbara as well. So he stopped, he pulled over and he offered them a ride into town. But Robert declined because the town was gonna be in the opposite direction of where they were headed. So Robert decided, no, you're going the opposite way. We'll, we'll wait for somebody else. So Powell left and went home, but this turned out to be a very fatal mistake because the next person that stopped for them was Ward Francis Weaver Jr. I'm just, if I was his fiance 
and he said like no thanks we'll wait i'd be like uh you can wait for the next person (laughs) i'm gonna go with this nice man who's offering to help me because at this point we're not going nowhere and i'm not staying in the car one more second so (laughs) i don't know i kind of get it because i would be like okay well you're right he's going in the opposite direction that might like get us off track. So I kind of get where he was coming from with that. But this also goes to show you like your life can change in a matter of seconds, right? The choices that you make, the butterfly effect, that's just all in every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? So let me tell you a little bit about Ward Francis Weaver Jr. Spoiler alert, he's not a great guy. So, but I'm well, sure he's you got the that same out. last name as our uh, topic here. So, yeah, so that's you kind of know where this is headed. So, uh, Ward Weaver Jr., he was a twice married long haul truck driver. He had three children with his first wife, Patricia, who goes by Trisha. Um, they had three kids. Ward Weaver III uh, was born in 1963, then Teresa in 1964, and Tammy in 1965. Uh, The marriage was a very unhappy, very abusive marriage, and Trish finally left him in 1967. So, It was shortly after that, the same year that um, Ward Weaver Jr. enlisted in the Army. And he was sent to Vietnam, and he did a tour in Vietnam uh, from 1968, and he came back December of 1969. Now, it was there that Ward talks about witnessing horrible, horrible things, you know, the killing of his army friends. Um, Even he talks about later one situation where his army, his buddies in the army were taking turns having sex with a young Vietnam girl with the girl's father's permission. Like the father was there and they were taking turns. And then the, it all stopped when the father slashed the girl's throat. So apparently he just saw horrible things there in Vietnam. Um, Which I think matches what I've heard a lot of other people. I mean, the Vietnam War was crazy, not just for the war aspect, but for all the other horrible things that these people witnessed. I can't imagine what these young boys who were sent off to Vietnam to fight in this war, what, Mm -hmm. what they saw. And they were babies, too. They were, you know, they were most of them were babies. So um, this, this isn't where like his life, that's where his life turned evil or that's where, you know, the bad experiences in his life had started. Ward Weaver's, even his early life was pretty bad too. Um, and I'm going to get into that. But even when when his wife left with the three children, he still stayed in contact with uh, Ward, little Ward and Teresa and Tammy. Um, Later, the kids would say that, you know, when dad was home from duty or whenever he was home from trucking or whatnot, he would come pick them up and he would spend a little bit of time with them. Um, So he stayed in contact with those children with his other children. Once he returned from Vietnam shortly after that, he got married to his second wife, which she was a cook and a waitress at a local diner in Oroville, California. So 
they had one child together, uh, and that son's name was Rodney, and he was born in 1972. Um, I also believe she had a couple of, of other children from a previous marriage, but mostly it was just Rodney was his fourth child. Okay. Um, in 1978, Ward actually spent um, about a year and a half to two years in prison for hitting a woman an acquaintance over the head with a pipe and assaulted her and raped her as well. So he was convicted of that and he spent about 1.5 years in prison. Rodney was told when he was doing that stint in prison in 78 that he was on vacation is uh, what Rodney was told. So Rodney remembers that, you know, in his early, early life with his dad, uh, he never really suspected anything off with his dad, but he does remember that period of time where he went on a long extended vacation. I'd, you glazed over that real fast. <laughs> he got a year and a half yeah. for bashing this woman over yeah. the head and raping her. Yeah, I want to say that was his first offense, like first major offense. And I don't care why. if you're two for a year <laughs> and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, in, in my notes, I call these fun facts of his early life. But oh, and we know these, what that means when it's coming from you. <laughs> these are anything but fun. But um, Ward Weaver's father, who was also Ward Weaver Senior, was very abusive. So this is just a cycle, right? It was a very abusive home life. Um, Ward was actually, he was like one, when he was born, he was one ounce shy of 10 pounds. So Ward Weaver Jr. was a big baby, but his dad called him Little Pete. Like that was a nickname that just stuck. So, Where did um, Pete come from? I, I have no idea. His name is Ward Francis Weaver Jr. Dad calls him Little Pete. <laughs> So okay. I have, yeah, I have no idea why. Um, okay. <laughs> that would be like, yeah, my name is uh, is you know Gina, but my mom called me Donna. Like, no, what? that's like in um, I I literally just started listening to last podcast on the left's uh, Casey Anthony series today, oh, uh-huh. and that's like um, her boyfriend's roommate who was um, like Ron, aka Clint. <laughs> My name is Ronald, but call me Clint. Okay. (laughs) Um, So little Pete grew up, uh, Ward, I'm going to call him Ward Weaver, but just know that that was his nickname. He, a very abusive home life. His father um, sexually assaulted his mother, Dorothy, who they also called Dot, often. Um, He would, when Dot refused Ward Weaver Sr.'s advances, like when she's like, when she just didn't want to have relations with him, he would bring multiple women home and have sex with them in the house while Dot was there. Yeah. And some of those were, it wasn't like willing sex either from those females. Yeah. Um, As a result, Dot took medication for severe anxiety, and because of her anxiety, she often beat her kids uh, as a way to cope with her anxiety. Yeah. So she would beat her kids with a belt. She uh, had a deep, deep hatred for men, obviously, if you look at her situation with her husband. And she often told Ward Jr. that all men should be castrated. She would 
often grab a knife when she was really mad and just talk about how all men should be castrated oh my God. and there is no use for them and that they're evil and horrible. Um, and then that is not the sort of thing that no that you want your, your mother. Son. <laughs> yeah, actually, when you know that my my mother beats me and now <laughs> she's talking about how men should be castrated and she's like waving a knife. That is exactly. Terrifying. But then on the other hand, she would force. Ward Jr. to sleep in her bed with her mm. um, and cuddle with her up until he was around mm-hmm. 18 years old. I don't I like e- that. I even read in one article that when uh, Ward Jr. got married, even on his wedding night, he slept with his mother, like in the what? same bed. Not not slept with her, but slept with her in the same bed. I That's still weird. Yeah, and I only read that in one article, and that's why I was like, I haven't seen this anywhere else. She would also bite him often till he bled as a form of discipline. Oh, I have heard that. That that sounds very familiar. Uh Uh-huh, and this is going to come up later, too. Um, Despite all the abuse that he endured endured from his mother and from his father, um, he remained unusually close to his mom for his through his adult life like he did nothing well most nothing without consulting her or confiding in her or talking to her uh so he was he remained very close to his mother loved his mother very very much and i'm sure that there's a deep psychological you know reason for that um Ward Sr. Um, often raped Ward Jr.'s youngest sister. And he would also go on to rape and molest two of Ward Jr.'s daughters. So yeah. remember, uh, Ward, Ward Jr. had two da- daughters and a yeah. son. So uh, they were raped by their grandfather, assaulted and raped by their grandfather. And then Ward Jr. had um, had a young sister that was raped by the dad, too. It's like this poor family didn't have a chance. No, uh-uh. Do you, in, in any part in this three-part series, do you go into Ward Sr. and his history? This is about all that we know about Ward Sr. Um, in everything that I've read. And again, this is a three-part series. And so uh, everything that I read about, there wasn't enough to do like four parts where the first part could have been about Ward Sr. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? He, it was just him being abusive and um, all the counts of assault I wish there was more information because honestly, this sounds like it started with Ward Senior. Yeah. He set the tone for this whole family. Well, and I hate to say it, but Dot added to it as well. Yeah. And and who knows what her her life before this was about, too, that she then, you know, seeks love with a man like Ward Senior, you know? So uh, who's to say he was wasn't always like this maybe he changed after they were married for some time or uh yeah i don't know i don't think so though but speaking of ward jr's uh young sister you would think that you know ward jr would have some sort of 
you know, feeling of protective, of being protective with his sister, especially. Yeah, like the older brother yeah. take care of them thing. And unfortunately, that wasn't happening at all. As a matter of fact, he cut off his sister's finger when with a hatchet when she was just six years old and he was seven and what? told his mom it was an accident. Years later, the sister recalls that she doesn't think it was an accident. Um a year later after that, he, so now they're seven and eight, he threatened uh -huh. to hang her. She thought he was just kidding um, until she saw him tying a noose and he actually put it around her neck and tied her to a tree, not hanging, just tied the noose around her neck and then tied her to a tree in, in a position where she couldn't like easily escape and left her there for several hours. What is wrong with this kid? He, she was in a field. I guess they lived in, um, uh, in a house that had, that was behind a field where they had some, you know, some cattle and he stampeded a herd of cows towards her. While she, she was tied was, to this tree? No, while she was just standing in the middle of, oh, of the field. Yeah, different this situation. is a different okay. incident. Yeah. He also locked her in a tool shed and set it on fire. Um, but ended up letting her out after she started screaming. And it was that fire that started a forest fire nearby. Okay. Um, when she was nine, he tied her up and stuck sticks into her vagina. Oh. And at 12, he raped her, convinced her she was pregnant, but told, threatened her not to tell anybody. And so she didn't. He's like, you're pregnant now. And she was just too scared to tell anybody. But she wasn't pregnant. But he um, did rape her. So she was being raped not only by her father, but by her older brother as well. Yeah. So let that sink in for a little bit. Oh, man. And we're... Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling this just gets worse for me. <laughs> yeah. Here, man. It's, it's nothing, nothing good comes of any of this. Okay. Um, she also talks about how she often witnessed um, her older brother, Ward, torturing cats, which obviously is a Big, alarm. fat, red flag. Yeah, big, yeah. fat, red flag. And this, if for those of you who really love cats, here's, here's a trigger warning. Um, but uh, by rubbing sandpaper on the cat's bottom and then pouring turpentine. What? Yeah. Where it. does he even get the idea I don't know. for this? I don't know. I don't know. But so obviously, you know, we hear all the things that he witnessed in Vietnam, but Ward Weaver Jr. was obviously damaged prior to going to Vietnam. Yeah. So back to 1981 on the side of Highway 58, where Robert and Barbara are trying to figure out how to get back on track with their trip to Las Vegas around 10 p.m. And remember, I told you, uh, Ward Weaver Jr. is a truck driver, right? So yes. he is um, driving down the road in the opposite direction of where their car is broken down. But he happens to glance over and see them. So he takes the next exit and turns around to offer help, which doesn't sound much like he wants to help, but this is what happens. He stops and he talks to them, 
And Robert and Barbara accept his offer to drive them to a stop in the Mojave Desert, like where they needed to go. They drive about five miles and uh, Ward starts to like say things like, oh, I, th I think my, my truckload is like uneven. And he starts complaining about that when all three of them are in the car. So he pulls over and he asks Robert to help him. Can you help me kind of like even out the load on you know, the flatbed and Robert, no, I'm not a professional <laughs> and Robert, who is this, you know, he's like, sure. Cause this guy's helping him. Why not? Why not return the favor? Um, so he gets out of the truck. Barbara stays in the cab of the truck. Um, and then Robert and Ward are trying to, you know, kind of maneuver the load. And this is when Weaver strikes him on the head with a cheater pipe. Now, if you don't know what a cheater pipe is, and I did not know what a cheater pipe was either. When you see my face, I don't know yeah. what that is. <laughs> yeah, it is a three to four foot metal pipe truck drivers use to tighten um, binders when securing their loads. So I just imagine oh, like Oh, I know a, what that is. Yeah, I, do you know what I'm talking about? That's what I imagine in my head. I think the closest thing to compare it to is like a giant Allen wrench. Uh, yeah. That you use when you have like the straps on a flatbed truck. You yeah. To tighten the straps, you got to stick it in there and crank it. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. I, yeah. Yeah. So, Th those things are big. Though they're big and they're heavy, especially if you're talking about a big, huge semi, right? And a load uh -huh. on a big, huge semi. Um, so, he strikes him on the head over and over and over again until he's. Basically, he thinks he's dead, right? Um, in an autopsy that was later done on Robert, they noted 11 separate lacerations to Robert's head. That's a lot of strikes. So Ward just leaves him there on the side of the road to die. Later, what happens to Robert is a um, good Samaritan driving by spot, fortunately, that night, even though it was dark, spots him on the side of the road. Mm -hmm. um, after Ward left, he calls the police. The police get there. They find Robert laying in a pool of his blood, like just tons of blood um, on the side of the road. He's barely alive, but he's still alive, but unfortunately dies on the way to the hospital in the ambulance. At the hospital, you know, the police were able to get Robert's wallet to ID him. They noticed he has a Washington driver's license. Um, they were able to connect that with his car and find his car on the side of the road. And okay. so when they go, when they find his car and they go, you know, look in the car, they notice that there's some women's belongings in the car as well. So like a purse and some luggage. So they're able to put together that he's obviously traveling with another person. And once they get into the car, they find Barbara's ID. So they're able to issue an APB out for her and mm -hmm. they start, and they start to search for her that night. Unfortunately, though, it's not enough. So after beating Robert, uh, Ward Weaver Jr. gets back into the cab with Barbara. She doesn't know what has just happened. I think because she was in the cab of the car. They were in the truck. They were all the way in the back of the semi. So she. Yeah. And if I'm Barbara, I'm sitting in the cab. I'm like, OK, they have to shift a load. That's yeah. going to take a while. And if. Yeah. If uh, this trucker's coming back, I'm assuming, okay, he's grabbing a flashlight. He's grabbing a tool. Yeah. They're not done yet. No. And um, so he comes back into the car. I, you know, she was probably like, where's, 
Where's Robert? He pulls a knife on her and um, commands her to sit with her head between her legs and her hands behind her back. And this was a position they often used that he learned in Vietnam when they were transporting uh, prisoners. Um, so that's how he made her sit. Um, he turned the truck around and started driving towards Bakersfield. Um, and near Kettleman City, which is outside of Bakersfield, he pulled her over and raped her in the sleeper cab. So you know those big semis, how they have the front yeah. area and then they have the sleeper cab area? Yeah. And he raped her and mm. then had her go back in the front and sit the same way. And then he starts driving towards San Francisco, pulls over and rapes her a second time, delivers his cargo that he what? was transporting to San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and you'll hear more about what happens here later. But then drives to Oroville, which is um, where he lives mm -hmm. and where his wife and his son Rodney live. Um, and right outside of town, right before he gets there, um, he commands Barbara to get out of the truck and he ties her hands and feet up with electrical tape. And he also tries to gag her. But Barbara decides at this point that she is going to fight back. And so this is when she bites him on the hand and takes a big bite, like a big chunk out of his thumb. That's so gross. This is I mean, go her, but that, yeah. is, that is disgusting. Yeah. This is where Ward Weaver snaps and decides to strangle her and kills her. It probably right. gave him flashbacks to his mother. Ex exactly. And that, that is brought up later um, in this story. So he digs a, he decided to dig a grave right there. So he digs like this shallow uh, grave, buries her body, and then drives into town to his wife's restaurant where she's working a late shift at the restaurant, parks his, you know, semi there at the restaurant, takes her car because she's working a late shift goes back to the site, digs up Barbara's body, puts her in the trunk of the car, and drives home. Then he gets home, okay, and his kids are at home, and they're like, and when I talk about his kids, it's Rodney, and I think like his stepchildren, right? Uh, okay. His wife's other children. And he gets home, and they're asking him about his bloody clothes and his injured thumb. So he's like, oh, don't worry about it, you guys. I got in a fight with somebody. Uh, you guys need to stay inside because someone could be looking for me. So he tells his kids, basically, go to bed. There's nothing to see here. Like, I'm I fine. feel like um, someone might be looking for you, and you just want me to go in my bedroom where it's got, you know, the window right there that someone could come in. Yeah. like. Yeah, Maybe and by the way, Dad, the there's a chunk missing from your thumb. Yeah. So then the kids, he, the kids are in their room. He takes Barbara's body out of the trunk and buries it in a ditch in the backyard. So now he has moved her. Uh, this is the second time. Why uh, could he just not leave her in the first grave he dug? Because it's Ward Weaver, I guess. I don't know. Um, now, this trench that was already in the back was actually dug up by his by 10 year old Rodney 
okay, who was helping his dad, his dad when his dad was away doing like the trucking thing as he often was, he would have Rodney do these, you know, help him with these projects. And so he had told Rodney that they, they had to put in or look for a sewer line. So he had his 10 year old working on that while he was gone trucking. Um, was this... So- Sorry. I don't think that was premeditated. I think that was a, like a legit thing. I was like, just going to ask, were, yeah. were they legitimately digging for a sewer line and then he just used it because it was there and then... You know, I, I think so. But now that we're talking about it again and once you hear things later, I, I don't know. So he puts Barbara in there um, and covers her up. And then a few days later, he would move her body a third time. Why? And now listen to this. He had his 10-year-old son help him dig an even deeper hole in the backyard. And he told his son that they were looking for a broken sewer pipe. So Rodney was helping, unknowingly helping dig Barbara's final grave. And um, so once the children left for school a couple of days later, he placed Barbara's body in that third grave, covered it with cement, and then built a wooden platform over it. And when his wife came home and was like, what is that random wooden platform (laughs) in the middle of the backyard? He's like, oh, I uh, built that for you so you could hang clothes on the clothesline without getting your feet wet on the grass. And apparently that was all she... That was all the explanation she needed. I'm I'm not understanding a lot of the things in his process here. Yeah, but but uh, okay. So that's unfortunately Barbara's demise right there, and where he leaves her. And the police, meanwhile, are just baffled. They have no leads. Uh, or idea of who killed Robert, who was left on the side of the highway, and they have no leads or idea where Barbara is. And this would actually leave the police puzzled for the next 17 months. Like, no clue, nothing at all. Until a little guy named Ricky Gibson calls authorities while he is in prison. So... Ricky Gibson, who not not a very great upstanding guy, he's in prison at San Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> at San Quentin for okay, rape. San Quentin. They do they send pretty bad dudes there. But yeah, like they, they do. He's in prison. He's in prison at San Quentin. Um, I actually, when I was reading these articles, someone described San Quentin as um, hell's hell. Like, yeah, for a long time, San Quentin was where they sent the worst of the worst yeah, uh-huh. um, for the worst of the worst treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, hell's waiting room. Yeah. And today, I mean, they still send some of the worst there, but that's because it's a big prison and they're funded to handle it. Yeah. But San Quentin, actually, a lot of. Um, a lot of inmates try to get into San Quentin because they have so many reformation programs. Oh, that really? Other, yeah. You know, we should do an episode about different prisons. Wouldn't that be interesting? We can find a way to do that. <laughs> well, ever since I watched Orange is the New Black, I was like, you know, if I committed a crime, like, how bad could it be? 
Like, like <laughs> I would love it's to bad. work in the kitchen. <laughs> Anyways, um, so yes, Ricky Gibson was um, a former prison mate of our friend Ward Weaver, who surprise, surprise, was also there. Isn't that odd? And the reason uh, Ward was serving time in San Quentin was for another crime, which was oddly similar. Um, This one he committed two months after he took the lives of Robert and Barbara. Um, Again, he was on his truck route. And it was on that route, he picked up two uh, runaway hitchhikers, a 15-year-old female named Michelle and an 18-year-old male named David in Oregon. Um, Now... I went into a deep rabbit hole on David and Michelle because that is another case into itself. I, you know, I don't want to lessen their experience, but, but let's just say Michelle and David aren't like, you know, upstanding kids. Okay. There's a reason why. They need their own episode. Yeah, exactly. There's a reason why they were, they ran away and they were hitchhiking. Anyways, uh, he picks these two up and he drives them 800 miles to California's central coast. And it is there that he calls his friend in Oxnard to, and he basically says, hey, can you come meet me and pick up this guy and just kill him? And his friend was like, yeah, sounds great. Be right there. Like literally that's what his friend said. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Let me just, I just got to wash my dishes and, and I'll head out the door is basically what his friend said. Um, I, I need a couple hours to find someone to watch my dog. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dude, I am there. I am. Like, that sounds like fun as if Ward Weaver asked him to go bowling. So um, his friend <laughs> comes and gets the guy, takes him to the country shoots him three times in the head and pushes him down an embankment. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Meanwhile, the female, Michelle, is still with Ward Weaver. He takes her back to Oroville, repeatedly rapes her for several days in the sleeper compartment of his truck. It sounds like this is his thing. Yeah. Sometimes when his wife isn't home, he brings her into the home, keeps her in a closet, and brings her out to rape her. That's so creepy. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So at this point, though, David had luck on his side. He actually survives the the three shots to his head. And he is able to climb out of the embankment and flag down a motorist who obviously calls the police. Yeah. The police get there. As they're loading him into the ambulance, David is able to give a spot-on description of Ward Weaver's truck, like of the semi. Like, uh, I mean... This is one of the most traumatic experiences of your life. He probably like he could close his eyes and like paint a photograph of this truck. Yeah. So it was like they call it a near perfect description of Weaver's truck. Um, So the police were quickly able to track Weaver down, who actually had already let um, 
Michelle go in a rural area of California. He like drives her to a rural area of California and kind of just like kicks her out of the truck. Okay. Um, so police weren't really, police were like, he would have totally killed her had he not known we were on his tracks. But Ward Weaver says later, I had no idea that they were on my tracks. I just decided to let her go. Yeah, because I have a feeling that it was the fact that Barbara bit him that made him snap and kill yeah, her. I think so, too. And that's going to come up later. Uh, so both men, they're captured. Um, Michelle is picked up. Uh, both men are found guilty of um, attempted or conspiracy to commit murder and rape. Um, and they are sentenced to 42 years to life. Okay. So, so at this point, Ward this Weaver's... This is a much more appropriate yeah. sentence, <laughs> by the way. Well, but if you think about it, that was just a pipe and kind of assaulted her. This one is like, he raped... What do you mean, kind of? <laughs> he raped this chick for days. For days. Okay, I'm not condoning days. it. I'm not Ugh. condoning it. I'm not condoning it. Okay. So, um, so Ricky... Um, his cellmate, Ricky Gibson, apparently he confesses to Ricky Gibson while he's there serving time for this other crime. He uh-huh. tells them all about how he killed Robert and Barbara, like detail, like in in-depth detail about him, you know, confessing. And so Ricky is, isn't a dummy. Ricky knows that, oh my God, I have this information. I can totally go to the police. Yeah, Yeah. I can use this. So Ricky is milking it from Ward, right? He's just like, he's soaking it up like a sponge and he calls the police right away. So armed with this information, the police go directly to the Weaver home on July 26, 1982. Uh, two detectives show up and they interview Ward's uh, wife and his son Rodney. They happen to get permission to search the yard where Rodney very nicely uh, directed them to the platform in the backyard. So I think uh-huh. when the detectives got there, they were like, so did your dad recently build something in the backyard? Because remember, this was only 17 months yeah. after the fact, right? And so right. Rodney, who's 10 years old or 11 years old at this time, is like, yeah, uh, I helped him dig this trench. And Yeah, and that's the age where yeah. they're like blabbing exactly. everything. So exactly. all you got to do is like, so... Uh, yeah. D- do you like playing in the yard? Yeah, I love playing in the yard. In fact, me and my dad used to take yeah. shovels and yeah. just build like fucking 10 foot deep trenches in the backyard. Like Exactly. So uh, <laughs> they were able to go back there and uh, they removed the cement slab, the little deck above it, the cement slab, and they found Barbara Lavoie's badly decomposed body. Um, they were able to positively identify her through dental records and she had the same clothes on that she had when she went missing the first guy who had stopped for them was able to give the police because once they he heard they were looking for a couple that were was Mm -hmm. you know off the side of the road he was able to contact the police he kind of gave him a description of what he remembered Barbara to be wearing Um, so she was wearing the same clothes that she had gone missing in but her underwear was missing so uh, he oh. had taken off her underwear, which is I don't like awful. That. No. Um, unfortunately, the body didn't 
give much kind of DNA evidence because it was so badly decomposed. Um, so they decide they're just going to confront Weaver directly. Uh, so they go to San Quentin. When they get there, they're like, hey, Ward, we're here to talk to you about Robert and Barbara. And he's like, hold off. I am not going to talk to you until I can talk to my mother first. What? So they're, yeah. <laughs> so they're like, uh, okay, uh, go call okay, your mom. Okay, get your mom on the yeah. phone then. <laughs> go call God, your mom. What we, and how old is he at this point? So gosh, he is, I want to say in his 30s, 40s, oh I don't know. Like, I'm not good at math. Um, he goes... So he calls his mom and his mom, who, by the way, the police had talked to before um, he, Ward Weaver had talked to her and she was like, there's no way he would have done that. There's like, they're like, uh, he could have murdered these two people. And she's like, no, there's no way. So he called his mom. He talked to her. She convinced him. And some people say gave him permission to kind of lay it all out there for police. So it this was almost dynamic with them. I know. Weird. Isn't that weird? So it was almost like he needed to call his mom for permission to talk to the police. And so she kind of convinced him. Yeah, I, I think it's a good idea that you do that. So they were able to record the interview um, and he admitted, yep to killing uh, Robert and Barbara and to raping her. Um, he was saying that he was wired up on Benzedrine that whole time, which kind of kept him awake. Um, and that the reason why he did it is because he had a lot of time to kill and no pun intended, but like he, that's why he did it. He just he had was a board. Yeah. He was bored on these like trucking trips. So he was able to draw a, draw police a map of where he killed her first and buried her, which was right outside of Oroville. Uh -huh. um, and the police were able to go there. They found the, the grave that he dug. And they also found some electrical tape that actually matched some of the tape they did find on her body when they exhumed her. Um, okay. So on her, the collar of her clothing up by her neck, uh, there was some electrical tape, which obviously he used to bind her with. Mm -hmm. So they had like substantial evidence right there, right? Because they didn't really, yeah. they didn't have any DNA evidence against him. Right. But the fact that he's giving them all these exactly. details uh -huh. and that details from the sites that he's leading them to connect to each other. Exactly. So now he just needs a conviction at this point, right? He Yeah. He, I mean, they're, they're checking all the boxes to make sure that there's no way that they can airtight. say that he didn't have anything to do with this. Exactly. Well, so... On his way to getting a conviction for the murder of Radford and Lavoie, Robert and Barbara, um, his arraignment was actually set for September 1982. But then his defense was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't think he's competent. Like, he, he's crazy. So we want to have a couple of psychologists determine that he's legally competent at this point. So the proceedings were um, held up till October. Oh, that's only a month. That's not that Yeah, bad. it wasn't that bad. Weaver and his team, they try to hold up the sanity hearing as well. And he claims that the pre-trial coverage in the local media about all of this is too much so that he needs a change of venue because he was taken from San Quentin. Once the police, you know, dug up Barbara's body, they took him back to Bakersfield where it happened. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then 
Weaver and his team submits like 12 articles from the Bakersfield, Californian alone about his case. And that's why they claim they need a change of venue to have a fair hearing or arraignment or whatever. But that motion is denied. I mean, it's a fair point that they're making, though. It is. Um, and then, I mean, this this guy, he just has, he's been appealing basically for the last 35 years that he's been in prison. So okay. uh, he brings up every single thing. He keeps bringing the fact that it was still held in Bakersfield after there was 12 articles written about him. But things keep getting just like denied and denied. So during his sanity hearing um, that followed the conviction, uh, more information comes out about Weaver's state of mind and exactly what happened because Weaver actually takes the stand. He testified that he hears voices, that he's been hearing voices in his head since he was about 17 years old. There is a female voice named Liddell that talks to him. And there's a male voice that he hears that started happening when he went to Vietnam. Um, he claims <laughs> he claims that he trusts the male voice more. And as a matter of fact, the male voice... Well, the female voice is not his mother. We know that's <laughs> exactly. the only female he trusts. Exactly. The, the male voice actually warned him of dangers that were happening in Vietnam. And he claims that that male voice saved his life several times while he was in Vietnam. Those voices actually come into play um, when he meets Robert and Barbara. But Weaver admits that he was using amphetamines to stay awake while truck driving. Um, And he had obviously taken them the day of the crime. But he also says that he had not slept in a week and a half prior to picking up Barbara and Robert. So he was... He was anything but chill, probably. He is way past the hallucination stage. Yeah. So he says that when he picked up Barbara and Robert, there was kind of like a battle of voices that started happening in his head. And um, he was aroused by how attractive Barbara was. And so the male voice in his head told him, you have to do whatever you can to have sex with Barbara. Like, we need Barbara. We need Barbara. But the female voice, Liddell, was telling him, Come on, Ward, leave Barbara alone. You don't have to do this. But that the male voice, (laughs) typical male voice, assured him he would not get in trouble. Like, no, let's just do this. You won't get in trouble. So So he's got the angel and the devil on his shoulder. Yes, is what he claims. So he says, and I quote, I just couldn't go against him. I mean, I just couldn't help it. I had to go along with what was the most logical (laughs) thing to do. Okay, okay. Most logical <laughs> Which, to the man who has not slept <laughs> in, in a week ten and a half. days. Exactly. So the male voice told him to knock Robert out so he could be alone with Barbara. So obviously Ward decided to follow the male voice. Yeah, um, that sounds logical. And he actually said, I really didn't think Robert would die. He said he had used a cheater pipe before on another person, which remember the one that he went to yes. jail for? And he said that for didn't- a year and a half. Yeah, that didn't cause serious injury. So I really didn't think hitting Robert, an 18-year-old, over the head 
over 11 times would kill him. So Weaver said... This is, this is the fatigue logic. Yeah, exactly. Weaver said that if he wanted to kill Robert, he would have used a knife because that is a silent way to kill and that was a way he learned in the military. Um, so he recalls is that... He, I'm sorry, is he one of those people and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about like one of those guys that's like when I was in the army they taught me this and when I was yeah, in the army they I'm taught sure. me that I'm sure because he brought that up several times during his when I was in Nam, we learned this and I saw that when I was in yeah. Nam. did I exactly. mention I was in Nam? it's like people who uh who work out uh CrossFit you know I do CrossFit do you know I do CrossFit do you want me to talk about CrossFit <laughs> um so he so Weaver recalls that he hit Robert. Robert starts screaming. Weaver tells him to shut up. Robert kept screaming. So Weaver kept hitting him. He recalls that these were like full force swings. And then he just took the pipe, left Robert there, didn't even bother to check if he was dead or alive. He just, his next mission was just to get in the cab with Barbara and pull a knife on her. Now, when this was happening, the female voice was in his head telling him what a horrible thing he had done. But the male voice was telling him, shh, ignore her. Yeah. <laughs> ignore her. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Um, so he's in the car with Barbara. And like I told you before, her head is in her lap. She's kind of tied up. He pulled over around 4 a.m. to rape her the first time. And then he pulled over an hour later and rapes her again. He claims he didn't intend to kill her. And that after her sec the second rape of Barbara, he was just basically looking for a good place to let her go. But okay. then daybreak started happening. So he just decided just to continue on with her on his route, right? So he took her to the Bay Area where he delivered his load in San Francisco. He said she obeyed him when he told her, you sit in this car. You do not say a word. I'm going to deliver this load. He was gone for 45 minutes and she didn't do a thing, which she was probably scared out of her ever loving mind. Right. At that point, she's in pure survival. Oh, mode. yeah. Yeah. And you know that she's like, you know what? If I just do what he wants me to do, then he won't hurt me. Yeah. Um, I'll stay alive. I'll get away eventually. But yeah. How sad is it that 45 minutes... She could have gotten away. I know. And to my knowledge, I don't think pri I don't think she ever found out that Robert was actually dead. I think oh. at that point she thought he was still alive. So I'm pretty sure she was just doing whatever she could to stay alive herself so that she could see her family and Robert again. Yeah. Um, so after that, they drove to Oakland. He picked up another load. And shortly after that, he was actually stopped by a highway patrolman. Barbara still complied and remained silent the whole time. She didn't draw attention to herself or try to escape. So at that point, he was like, I, I knew I was going to let her go. Like she was, she was being really good. She was complying with everything I asked her to do. Um, so they, after the patrolman let him off, I really, I didn't read about what he was pulled over for or anything like that, but he was let off. Um, he decided to drive the long way back to Oroville, his house. And he actually, that's where he stops four miles outside of Oroville 
this it's about 11 p.m. now on February 6th. Uh, he told Barbara, okay, I'm going to tie you up. You stay here under this bridge. He was going to hide her behind some bush or whatever. I'm going to come back the next day and I'm going to drive you to Southern California. That's where that load that he had just picked up was scheduled to be. Um, okay. And I'm going to release you there. Like he, he told her this. Now, whether that's true or not, we're never going to know. Right? Right. So he tied her up with that electrical tape. And then when he was trying to gag her with, I guess he had some fabric diapers. So I'm thinking of just cloth diapers that you use on babies sometimes. I'm not sure yeah. why he had those, but he was trying to stuff those in her mouth to gag her with those. And that's when she bit him. He slapped her, he said. He hit her twice. And then he says he just blacked out. And that he didn't realize he was strangling her now with the fabric. But when he kind of like came to, he realized he was strangling her with the fabric and that she, and then he realized she was dead when she stopped fighting back. So he initially thought that she was unconscious, but then quickly realized that she was dead. And he said he started crying, was really sad. He, he didn't mean to kill her but then dug a grave and that was site number one of three where he buried her. Dug three graves. I mean, technically his son dug one of the graves, yeah, but yeah. yeah, but that was the first one. But I mean, he had to unbury her twice. So he did a yeah. fair amount of digging. Yeah. I don't think, um, and the I only thing, is- the only thing I can imagine is if, if some guy said, okay, I'm going to tie you up. I'm going to leave you under this bridge. And then tomorrow I'll come back. I would be like, Cool. Yes. Once you leave right now, yeah, put me under the bridge. Once you leave right now, I'm going to wait a couple of hours to make sure the coast is clear. And then I'm going to run for my life or do something, right? So I don't believe that he told her he was going to let her go. I think she didn't know what was happening. She's at this point has. She's terrified. And now. Yeah. The level of her uh, imprisonment is yeah. now escalating because she's being gagged. And this whole time she's been quiet. She's done everything. Well, because she's, she's also been inside of that truck. She, he's never taken her out. Yeah. This is so the first now time. all of a sudden yeah. he's gagging her. So why do you, I need to be gagged yeah. now? Um, you're taking me out. Why are you taking me out now? So like, of course she's going to fight because she thinks that shit's about to get much, much worse. Yeah. So I don't, I don't believe him when he says that he had no intention of killing her. But this is where the whole biting thing comes in, right? So I think what his yeah. team was trying to do was say, listen, this guy had a horrible mother who used to bite him till he bled. And as a matter of fact, his first wife, Trisha, she testifies also to the fact that she knows firsthand that he hates to be bit because she says when they were married, they were play fighting, I guess. And she bit him and he began to choke her. And she said he had this like glassy dazed look in his eyes and he, Oh, he basically dissociated. Yeah. And he told her he didn't know why he was choking her and that he just hated, he hated when anyone bites him. Like he doesn't like that, man. That's really hard because I mean, personally, I almost believe him when he says that yeah. he had no intention of killing her. Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, it is clear that he is responsible. 
for taking the lives of Robert and Barbara in 1984. Prior to the end of all of this, he tries to make a deal with prosecutors saying that he would lead them to 25 other victims that he claims he has if, he, if they waived the death penalty. So he told prosecutors, listen, I've killed 25 other people and I can tell you where they are, but I don't want to be sentenced to death. But prosecutors decline. Why? I, I now I read several. I mean, I guess California was a death penalty state at that time. Gung ho about it at that time, right? Yeah, uh, which they're not anymore, and so he's not going to be put to death. But when I was going into like the why and the twenty-five other victims, it was like this rabbit hole. Like that could be another episode in itself. Um, there was. You know, there is that case of the 25 hitchhikers in Santa Rosa, those 25 hitchhiking victims that they've never found the killer for. And like some of the suspects are like Ted Bundy and the Zodiac and stuff like that. And, you know, Ward Weaver Jr. actually falls in to a suspect category, although he's never been officially determined a suspect. But I just why would you decline? Worst case scenario, he just wants to get out for a few days. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, and, and, you know, later after more investigation, his truck route does match up with some machine hitchhiker cases that were never solved along that stretch of highway that he, he had. I would think, I don't understand. Yeah. And again, maybe I'll do a follow-up episode on that. Uh, But that was like a whole nother rabbit hole, a whole nother issue. There was like so many Reddit threads on that and like, it was it was making my head spin. Um, okay. So he was convicted of first degree murders of both Barbara and Robert. It only took the jury forty two minutes to deliberate. He was sentenced to death, the gas chamber. But unfortunately, in two thousand nineteen, California Governor Newsom suspends death row sentences. So now Weaver, who's seventy eight and still in prison, is likely to die of natural causes before any of that is overturned, right? For the past 35 years, like I told you, he has been trying to appeal and overturn his convictions using the sanity thing again and again and using Mm -hmm. the unfair trial, the venue, all of that. During his conviction and penalty phase of his trial, his eldest son, remember the son that he had with his first wife, Ward Weaver III, actually moved to Bakersfield to um, attend some of the hearings and trial because he really wanted to reconnect with his dad. At that time, he was like in his 20s. And that's where we come to this part because less than two years later, Weaver III would find himself eerily following in his dad's footsteps. And part two of Meet the Weavers is all about his son, Mr. Ward Weaver III. Man. Yeah. Isn't this family great? It's like the Beavers. Leave it to Beaver. Oh, no, that wasn't their names. What were they? You mean the Cleavers? (laughs) The Cleavers. (laughs) Because it's Beaver Cleaver, right? Is it? I think it's Beaver Cleaver. Is Unless. God, that's unfortunate. I never never thought of how unfortunate that name is. (laughs) Leave it to Beaver. Oh, really? That's weird. That was his nickname. I. Well, what was his name? Richard? And then they call him Beaver? So don't. No. So why do you ca- think little Pete is weird? 
beat. <laughs> Man, so, I'm there. You go. There are little bits of this that sound familiar, uh-huh. but like honestly, I I've never heard. I maybe I've heard it before. You had to. I don't know much about the Weaver stories, except that you hear them referred to in. Like pop culture all the time. Yeah. Like people always like, oh, he's a regular Ward re- Weaver. And I would always be like, ha, 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 I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> but part two will be coming soon. So look for that if you enjoyed part one. Man, and that's just going to be a whole nother nightmare. I know. For us. I know. Well, you're welcome. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Got two more weeks of this. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> I'm actually, no, I'm really grateful you're covering this, which sounds weird, but yeah. because I don't know this. Yeah, no, so it's, it's good. This is such a popular and like integral story that I feel like I should know it. Yeah. So, well, and a lot of this happens, you know, where we are a little bit, especially that next part. Happens closer yeah, to me than West you. Coast thing. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, see, I didn't even know that Ward Weaver was like a Washington, California, yeah. Oregon thing. Yeah. Because to me, Ward Weaver sounds like he owns like a wheat field in the Midwest. Somewhere. Yeah. Exactly. Nope. He's he's here, and so is his family. And again, I think evil tends to run really deep here. So, which is unfortunate. I wish we knew more about the dad, like yeah. senior. Yeah, that's all. Because there's got to be something uh, there. Believe me, I looked. And, you know, as a matter of fact, it was difficult to get a lot of things on uh, Ward Weaver Jr. There's tons of stuff about Ward Weaver Third, which you're going to find out why in part two. Uh, and so the majority of the stuff is about him. And then they always reference kind of, you know, what the dad did. Because the dad is known as the Kern County killer with the whole Barbara and Robert case. But, I mean, it's, it's difficult to look stuff up. And believe me, I was, I was looking. So, All right. Well, enjoy. I will eagerly await the, our second installment. Awesome. I, I always like learning about new cases yeah. that I i don't know much about. Well, you're so welcome. Is, yes, well, thank yeah, you. Yeah, no problem. I have to apologize because everyone's probably like, how are yeah, you exactly. you don't know Ward Weaver? But, exactly. All right. But I mean, one of the cases I'm going to cover uh, relatively soon is one that I can't believe you don't know. So Well, I was kind of looking at your upcoming cases and I'm like, who? What? So, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope everyone has a great day. And I hope you feel better. I know. So do I. I am actually going to go to bed right now. So, <laughs> yeah, go get some I rest. I will. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Oh, I was uh, so like, we're on the phone. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. Call Bye. me. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Kat and I are so grateful for all of our listeners, and we love hearing from you guys. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Alternative Interest Podcast and let us know your thoughts on this week's case. We want to cover the things that you guys want to hear, so please email us your case suggestions at Alternative Interest Podcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for listening and sharing us with your friends. Be good to each other and we'll see you next week.